Hi, everybody. Jordan Ostroff here with uh, Legalese Marketing. This is Exhibit A Attorneys, where we interview attorneys and other experts across the country to talk about what it truly takes to be the Exhibit A of a successful attorney. And today I have the great pleasure to bring on not only an expert, not only an attorney or at least former attorney, but one of my all-time favorite Facebook advocates for us from a life standpoint who I truly get a lot of insight and wisdom and guidance from in Wendy Witt. So Wendy is a former state planning attorney. Uh, she partners with now with the owners of solo and small law firms to build a law firm that gives them the life they love. As a law firm business strategist, she commonly serves in the capacity of fractional, man fractional managing partner to guide law firm owners to more than they thought possible. Um, and I just, I love the concept that Wendy truly walks the walk not just talks the talk. I have seen her call people out for the stupid crap that we think is cool, like overworking our associates, like not having a life, like putting that on pause for our career. And so obviously, as you all know, that's something near and dear to my heart. And so I was, I'm so blown away and thankful that she was willing to come on and share some wonderfulness with us. So she's going to talk about how you get more uh, effectiveness out of your associates by whipping them daily. No, just kidding. She's going to talk about how you design your dream life as a lawyer. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Um, I've got the, the links coming in for Wendy. The best place to, to connect with her is on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash IN slash Wendy Witt, W-E-N-D-Y-W-I-T-T. And then www.milliondollarattorney.com, a great website and something that I know many people strive to uh, embody. So anything else you want to add on the bio? That's perfect. Thank you so much, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so our last episode, before we dive into how you design your dream life as a lawyer, we're going to talk about our previous episode where Dan Wynn was on, talked about making your mark, the best tips to build and protect your brand that aired last week. So when we're done hearing the great insight and wisdom that Wendy has to share, if you want to learn more about trademarks, but also how you market a trademark practice or how you determine who your ideal clients are, great opportunity to listen to the wisdom that Dan shared. But enough about that. Let's talk designing your dream life as a lawyer. And I want to start this with a little bit more of your story, because I'll be honest, I don't know your, your beginnings that well. So can you walk me through a little bit of that going from the former estate planning attorney to now the law firm business strategist? Sure, I would love to. So, you know, it's funny because when I tell you the story, it's going to look like, oh my gosh, you had it planned out. This just flowed one step into the other. It was so logical not true at all it was stumble stumble zigzag stumble stumble so um please take this you know with that background and that understanding so it's interesting because when i graduated from law school i didn't want to be a lawyer and honestly i when i was in there i'm like what am i doing um like i think about 85 percent of law students like did i make the right decision so i had a psychology major i couldn't support myself um with that and so i'm like you've got to keep going so i graduated um and for eight years i didn't practice i did other things and then when i went in i was pregnant with my third child and i like discovered estate planning because believe it or not i didn't do any estate planning not one course in in law school it was all post-grad learning and so i went in 
for my own estate planning. And the lawyer was very distracted and was kept saying, wait, you know, you're here, you're a lawyer, you're not working. He had this need. And so one, the conversation evolved and I started working um, part-time. And then when I had Drew, who is now 21, he, um, I started working full-time the day he turned six weeks old. So I've been there, done that on the balancing it all. So I did practice for 15 years. And then during that time, I got a lot of experience and I really enjoyed it. And I felt I was having big impact. But then I had worked with families with you know little assets all the way up to 500 million. So for me, for me, I kind of felt like I had been there, done that. And I was like, okay, so what really brings me joy and how can I have impact? Right. So say I have my own practice and I continued that I could help say a hundred clients a year. But if I help 10 attorneys help a hundred clients or I help a hundred clients have a hundred, help a hundred clients. That's really cool. And I'm actually like having a bigger impact in the world. So that was very attractive to me. I enjoy- yeah, that's why I always want to, uh, the people who are like, if you, those who can't do teach, I'm like, I want to kick those people yeah. in the butt. I'm like, no, no, no. Yeah. Those who can do and still choose to teach are the most amazing people. Yeah. So love it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I really was intrigued first by the marketing of the business and really enjoyed that. And I did that for the firms I worked for and then for, with my own firm. And then as I was, I, I started doing marketing writing for attorneys and then they needed advice. So I would help them, you know, implement that. But then I'm like, well, this marketing isn't doing everything for them. They have other issues. And so then it got into business advice and it progressed. I was in corporate for a couple of years um, and where I was teaching 4,500 attorneys um, how to build their businesses. And then you know, that, that evolved. I kind of had run that course, done what I could do in that organization. And then I got into really the fractional uh, management world, the law firm business strategy. And that, because I'm working for myself again, I think once you work for yourself, it is very challenging to work for someone else. I mean, right. Can I have an amen? For, I agree with you, although I do talk to a number of people that are like, I work for myself and that guy runs a really loose ship. So true. The, yeah. Uh, you know, if you decide the business part isn't for you, perfectly fine. I like the control part, like the control and design of my life. Um, and so that and so that's what I do individually in group programs. And it's very cool because I can see the impact I'm having. And that's a really great membership or a measurement. I love the, obviously I love the income and that has to be there and that's valuable. I have responsibilities like we all do, but seeing the impact and how it's changing people's lives because they're learning perspectives. They're they're shifting their perspectives and learning about possibilities that they didn't even know was possible, such as designing their own life. 
I know, right? It's like, I love the, I love the emails that are like, it's a record month. We signed up so many cases, but I really, really love the emails that are like, I took the first vacation with my family in five years last week. And I'm always like, yeah, that's what it's yes. all about. Yeah, because I mean, really to get to the big numbers or whatever number you want, um, to get to those big numbers and stay there without your health breaking down, your marriage breaking down, your happiness level plummeting, you know, you've, you've got to have the balance. And to me, that's creating a law firm that runs by itself and you're the profit owner and people are at different levels. What I find is, first of all, I attract the people who are like, well, this practicing was great, but I'm ready for someone else to practice. And I build the relationships and provide the vision. Those are the people I attract, but often the people who come to me before that, they get there at some point, um, because they you know, they've met the challenges already. So it's interesting you talk about it from that perspective. So in essence, you are really, you're the magnet for people that are already ready to take that step out of the day-to-day grind and into the more overseeing role. A lot of times, especially for my one-on-one, because um, those people for one-on-one are probably above 400,000, five, above 500,000, like in that, above that, there and above. Um, in group programs, sometimes people are just, they don't even know it's possible yet. They just want help making it easier because time becomes the issue. And just to um, just to make this as helpful as possible to anybody listening, when you say four to 500, are you talking about firm revenue or are you talking about individual owner benefit? Sorry, um, firm revenue. Okay. Yeah, you know, lots of times when people come to me, they don't even know that a firm can be actually throw off a profit and like be a true business. At that point, for the for attorneys at that level, they are just inundated with too much to do, and it's overwhelming. Um, but I work with you know I have the Friday Focus Club where people are at any revenue level, and that's really about building the business, the mindset, the success principles, and so forth. And so people are at very different levels there, but it works. Makes perfect sense. So. Then I guess let's, I don't want to say transition, but when it comes to this designing your dream life as a lawyer, it sounds like you're talking mostly to the firm owner who's got the, at least ability to have that control. Am I right in that? So it starts before that. I I would use it with all, all clients at any level, because that's how we ascertain the goals of what they're trying to get to. And of course your goals and your perspectives evolve over time. I mean, things change. You know, my husband and I are going through a change now because we're like practically empty nesters. So what is that next step? But you need to know, right? How much money do you want to live the life you want? And how do you want to spend your time? And then when you have those numbers and that like solidified, then you can re-engineer, like go backwards and figure out your roadmap to get there. You have to know those things even now. So I do that at every level. But every level with who? Like, wh- like I guess, let me rephrase that question. Okay. What percentage of your clients own their own firm versus working at another firm? Oh, they all do. Okay, so that's that's oh, what I'm, oh, I'm, I'm that's sorry. what I was talking yeah. about. Not yes, so yes, not yes, necessarily yes, from the standpoint no, of no, no, immediately being ready to do. I work with the owners of solo and small firms. Okay. Yeah. 
So we're so that's who we're talking to here is the people that have that ability to have the control. You may not obviously you may not have it in practice, but you have it in theory through the ownership. Yes, hundred percent. So where do they where do they need to start? You know, because I know for me it was like hitting rock bottom is where I started, but I hope that's not the necessary point. Yeah, that happens a lot. Um, so the place to start is establishing those benchmarks. Where am I going? What is the life I love? Because the idea is for the firm to produce what it takes to live that life, right? So that's the end goal. And that is different things to different people. But I always suggest consider this, consider actually building a firm that has some value so that you have that profit, you can sell it someday, right? Because everybody thinks they're just going to be working forever. They are not. They're going to get bored, have another venture, have a health problem, die, whatever it is. You know, as an estate planning attorney, I guess it's more in my face than a lot of people, but it's there. Um, and so then the first step after that, so establishing the benchmark really is creating more space for yourself, time and space. So is there software that can be more efficient? Is there outsourcing you can do? Where's your delegating? I mean, I just had this, I literally had a client this morning and talking to him, he's telling me all the things he's doing. And I'm, you know, I said, okay, let's step back a moment. So whenever you're going approaching a task, please ask yourself, is this a, he's the only lawyer in the firm right now. Is this a lawyer task? Is this a business owner task? And if not, someone else needs to be doing that. Um, I love that. It's so simple, but not. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I want to dive into this a little bit deeper because obviously we could, we could talk about this all day, but from the standpoint of that very beginning designing the plan, coming up with what you want it to look like, are there questions you tell people to keep in mind? Are there like, walk me through how somebody actually figures out what they want, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I use, I have tools that I use. One is helping them document how much they spend on everything in their life now, housing, cars, savings, investing, tuition, well, everything. Right. And then where do they want to be in? You could jump all the way to five years when you've made a lot of progress. You could say, okay, what am I going to accomplish to get to one year, three year, five years and so forth. And that's an ex extremely effective. And I asked people to actually do it, not guess. Because anytime someone guesses and doesn't actually look at their numbers, they're off, right? And and you and they need to start like looking at the numbers, tracking numbers, keeping those because that's how you make really smart strategic decisions and know if you're on the right path. The second one is tracking their time. So we all get 168 hours each week. How do you want to spend that? And I have the list, you know, sleeping eating, preparing food, time with significant other, alone, everything, including working in the firm, working on the firm and administrative tasks in the firm. Just because I'm trying to make people more aware so that they make good choices. So that is humongous and so helpful you break up into those three. But can you give us a couple examples of what working in the firm is versus what working on the firm tasks are versus what administrative tasks? 
Yeah, so in the firm, you're a lawyer or a manager, right? So that would be practicing law and that would be managing your employees. Those would be examples. Um, if you're doing something administrative, it's something that an administrative assistant could do, like posting a job, a job listing, um, setting appointments, typing a letter, whatever it is, if a like receptionist, secretary, assistant can do it, they need to do it. And so one of the, another step then is to figure out who's doing what in the firm and how long it takes them. And then you can, when you do this chart, you can see our tasks being passed to the lowest paid competent person or not. And that lets you know when to hire too, because you can see, you can identify people's workload. So when I had a team at that time, I didn't know those, these tools. And I was always like, am I giving too much? And they don't tell me, am I not giving enough? Like, where is it? This is something like a tool you can use to objectively know workloads. Yeah, and I want to drill down on that a little bit because even, and this is for all the lawyers out there, even if you don't actually track time for billing purposes, you still need to track time. Absolutely. You know, I, somebody, yes. <laughs> somebody explained it to me as the McDonald's cheeseburger. So McDonald's knows how much the bun costs, how much the cheese costs, how much the meat costs, how much the lettuce costs, whatever. And they know how much it takes to ship it and to cook it and to put it out and to wrap it and all like, you need to know all those things because exactly what Wendy said, you know, pushing it down to the lowest level, uh, the, the lowest paid level of competence for it is how you're going to make the biggest profit margin and how you're also going to give yourself the most time for the higher level people to tweak the system, to make it better, to hire more people, to make it scalable, to market it properly, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. I mean, I didn't grow up with billing because I did estate planning and it was flat fee, but absolutely. I say the exact same thing. Everyone on the team needs to track billing. So you're basing decisions on fact and not guesses. Oh, she's really busy. Really? You know, you need to know that. And I'm teaching a hiring and outsourcing, managing and, and firing um, workshop tomorrow. And one of the things that people have challenges with is hiring ahead of time. They wait till there's an emergency. The team is overwhelmed. Client work is getting, you know, delayed and clients are mad, especially in 2021. It takes a long time to find the right person sometimes. Well, and then to hire and onboard and train them correctly. Yes. And if you're already, if everybody's already overworked and they're like, well, I can't train so-and-so this week because I can do it faster. And you're like, right. But then you're always going to be the one forced to do it instead of being able to have them take some of it off your plate. Yep. hundred percent. And the crazy part to me is everything for the solo, truly for the solos, also for the small firm owners, everything that Wendy and I just talked about for the last five minutes is so much harder for you because at a larger firm, when you've got 15 paralegals, it's a lot easier to see which one is slower on a demand letter or which one isn't getting client calls back timely, whatever it is. When you've got one or when you've got two, it's so much harder to know if you have a 
systems problem or a people problem or a pricing problem or, you know, whatever else it could be. That's it. That's exactly it. All right. So we've got sort of lined up what we want to see. We're tracking our time to know what we have. And then you talked about automating versus delegating versus outsourcing. How does somebody know what the right fit is there? Yeah. So you can do the analysis on, first of all, so a lot of attorneys right now are having trouble finding people locally. Um, and so when you outsource or you hire someone virtually, either one, um, then you can hire the best person no matter where they are geographically. That works for a lot of roles, not all of them, but a lot. Um, so that's one thing to consider. Can you find the right person? Because you really don't want to hire the wrong person. It is better to hire at a distance or outsource to make that decision. But some of it, and this comes a lot of my clients are like, I don't have enough work or they think they don't have enough work for a full-time person. So that's where you could outsource and then people are, you're, you're paying someone for either projects or by the hour and it's based on production and you don't, you're not paying them for 40 hours if you don't have 40 hours worth of work yet. Um, you know, they find that work from home tends overall tends to be very diligent and work harder and work longer. They're not distracted by the, all the in-office hubbub. Um, so you could see like how many hours you have. So if you don't have at least two thirds time you of, of someone full-time, you might want to outsource. If you're going to run marketing campaigns and you know that more work will come in if you hire, then go ahead and hire them. It's really a balance of several factors to get to that decision. It was interesting because I had a client saying, oh, I paid me so much this outsourced paralegal. It's a company. And I said, well, I ran the numbers for him and saw that it came out to be about the same without the management level, right? Or the office space or the equipment or paying for vacations or sick days when something doesn't move forward. Sometimes when you hire a team, Things are moving forward, even if that person's on vacation, there's a turnover, what have you. Yeah, it's amazing to me because like, that's one of the things I try to push with, especially the lawyers that don't yet own their own firms. I'm like, look, you need to be able to generate business because you're going to get replaced by a paralegal. You're going to get replaced by a lawyer in another country or another state. You're going to get replaced by a computer for automation. Yeah you need to figure out where to make up that difference for exactly what you talked about. If it's even, but you're not paying for office space, you're not paying payroll tax, you're not paying for leave, you're not worried about that person stealing from you or not showing up to work or finding another job, there's a cost or there's a benefit analysis there, not just a cost analysis. Right, exactly. I love it. So, I lo and you talked about, correct me if I'm wrong, you said if, as long as you've got two thirds the time, so really like that's your break point. Well, typically, um, when you hit two thirds, it depends on what you're paying that contractor. Now, I've been able to see people do contract work for, like I said, the cost of an employee. Um, in the past, it's been the cost for a contractor has been a little higher. 
especially Talk if you're paying a firm or you're paying like say lawclerk.legal and you so you're paying for the entity fee the service on top of the attorney project fee um and so forth um or what you'd pay for someone who wasn't with them but you have to you know run the numbers and lots of time if you know your numbers typically when you get to the third two-thirds point it makes sense to just hire them you have to confirm that this is factually true for you so that being about what 25 27 hours a week at the point where it's probably worth hiring somebody full-time yes whatever <laughs> yes <laughs> i trust me i triple checked in my head and still am not that sure that i was correct so i no uh no blame there but yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing to me. And, and so look, this goes back to what we talked about briefly before. That first hire is going to be that much harder than the second hire, which is going to be that much harder than the third hire. And if somebody leaves, it's that much more a pain in the butt the fewer people you have because they're that much, they're a larger chunk of the pie, even if the pie is smaller. Um, and so I just, you know, there's that need to sort of just get over it or get through it. I think that's better, get through it. Um, because on the other side is you'll see a, a firm much more ready for more financial success, much more capable of supporting the lifestyle you want, much more allowing of the flexibility to live that dream life. Well, you know, you have to delegate in some form if you ever want to be more than you are now. If you want more freedom, if you want more money, if you want to be doing more of the work you love, you have to have help. You're you are a human, you're a lawyer in a human's body. There are limits. And so if you're focused on doing non-lawyer tasks or non-business tasks, then you're just kind of going to stay there, you know, and if you want to be a true solo forever, okay. Like I'm not judging what you want, but if you want something more, you're gonna to have to delegate. And that does mean, like you said, moving through fear and the uncomfortable feeling. And to do that, start by delegating small tasks first and get used to it. You know, you can set up your systems and document your processes so people are following your process, but if they don't do something exactly like you, that's okay. They may even have a better way because it's within their area of expertise. Yeah, I don't remember um, where we were talking about this, but I know it was the, it was you, us, or we, them, theirs. So it starts off, everything is you. Then as you build a team, it's we, it's us working together. Then you start giving things to them and then they take ownership of making yes. those things better and it's theirs. Um, and even for that true solo, look, automate. You can automate, I guarantee you there's stuff you're doing in your law firm that can be automated or easily outsourced, you know, stamps, mailing, uh, scanning the, the mail into a system, automating doc generation, contracts, e-signatures, follow-up. I mean, there's a ton of things like that where you can at least maximize your time in the things that cannot be done by a computer. And it is magical when something happens and you're not the one like that does it. It can become like so exciting, it's a little bit addictive. Well, what else can I delegate? Because this happened when I was at lunch or a presentation, making money, bringing in the clients, but all this stuff happened behind the scenes. And so you start to see the potential. I mean, even if you just start with, you know, some marketing 
pieces that someone designs on Upwork, right? Start there. Yeah, I will tell you, and it's it's got to be, this can't be a real thing. It's got to be like observation bias, but I swear my firm has closed our biggest cases or settled our biggest cases or signed up our biggest cases while my wife and I are on vacation, like every time. And it, it can't be, it's got to be observation bias, but like, it is so true. There's nothing better than being like, oh my God, the adjuster finally came up for that offer. Oh, the, you know, the court finally ordered us these fees or something like that while we're at the zoo in Cincinnati with my kid was, was the, the last yep. time one of those came through. Um, it was just, it's, it's great. Well, you know, another thing about vacation is that if you go, like, go ahead on, go on vacation, you're going to see what falls apart, right? You know, go on vacation, emergency access only. You will quickly identify where people aren't trained, your systems aren't in place. Um, people don't have the support they need or the, the staff doesn't have the confidence to make smart decisions. And there are times where that is a systems problem. There are times where that's a process problem. There are times where that's a people problem and it'll, you'll have an easier time figuring out what those are, the larger you get or the longer you do this for. Uh, so at some point I want to jump to talking to people about what this looks like when you've gotten through a lot of the muck. But before that, are there any other tips, insight, wisdom, stuff you want to share about this, getting the right things in place to support this dream life? You know, there's one little tip that's a, has big results. So what I see is attorneys allowing staff or client calls to come in, non-emergency client calls to come in when they're trying to get stuff done. Mm. What that does is it like removes your focus and you cannot make progress. You get frustrated, your, pro your work product might not be as high and things take 10 times as long as they need to. So a couple boundaries, I suggest 90 minute focus time where you know the social media is turned off, the phone to you is turned off, no interruptions. You have set times when staff can ask questions. So that allows you to focus. The other thing that does is help your staff actually problem solve and fix it on their own. Because 90% of the time when they're interrupting you, it is something that they should know or could figure out on their own. You're just easier. When you say that 90 minute, that's per day, that's per week, that's... So that is what whatever you want to do. Like if you're doing client work, if you want to work on the firm, I'm saying that 90 minutes is a really soft oh, okay. time where you can focus and get it done without interruptions. And I mean, are you okay with it being like, if you've got the call with the, you know, ideal premium case with the $500 million asset estate planning, like then jump in and take it for that, but make sure you've got really specific rules on what does become an emergency. Yeah, you could have, you would definitely have to, of, um, definition of what an emergency is and what's allowable. Like somehow your cell phone drop the call and your spouse is calling you your kid or something like that. Um, as far as for an important client, I'd be really careful with that because if you break your processes, those are the people that are PETAs and are very difficult mm. to work with. So if your client expects you to be available all the time, 
that's just not going to end well for you. And for anybody, Peta, pain in the William's yes. butt. The dupa. The what? My husband's Polish. The dupa. Oh, I, what is that? Your butt. Same thing? Yep, same thing. Oh, okay, got it. Um, I just want to make sure because I know sometimes I'll listen to podcasts, especially marketing podcasts, and they're like, oh, yeah, our ABM had to get the right ROI from the yeah. CBP. And I'm like, I totally lost the sentence trying to come up with it. So, Peta, I gotcha. Peta, in the butt if you learn nothing else yep. from this which you definitely should because wendy has had some wonderful nuggets of wisdom um all right so that and i love that I, i'm a huge fan of block scheduling i think that is great i love the concept of those 90 minutes and sure set the emergencies but like really honor honor what you're doing as the owner you know and i always i always tell people and i know we get this like sense of guilt sometimes mm -hmm. and i'm like you can go into the negative your employees are not going to get to the negative ever. So there's a little bit of a better reward for you because there's a much higher risk on your end. And you will do that in a way where you don't make it worse for your employees, but where you don't sacrifice yourself over and over again. Yeah. If you're, but if you're providing like all that access, the other part of it is that they're not growing, they're not learning, they're not thinking you are actually doing them a disservice because they're not put in a position it also makes them feel like you don't trust them. Makes perfect sense. All right. So let's talk about what this looks like when you, when you continue to be successful, when you push through the fear, um, can you give us uh, examples or what this looks like for you or what you've seen from your clients in terms of like that dream life? Yeah. So that looks like, um, you could sell the firm, or have and and having invested over time so that between selling the firm and your investments from your income from the firm over the years it it funds your retirement so that's like the end that's the big wahoo the other part of that when you're you when you still want to stay stay involved it means you could leave for a month so you could take the family to Disney World, to Italy, whatever, leave for a whole month and the firm can run without you. It's when you're truly acting as an owner, you're not managing, you, you have a law firm administrator in place, you're not, so you're not managing and you're not practicing law. And those are actually the firm, like if you want big, right? Those, if you want over a million, those are the firms that, um, have the tipping point where the lawyer's happiness level, and we track that metric, their happiness level actually goes really up at, at a million because they have the cash flow to pay other people to do all the things they don't want to do. Now, I have a and lot of people say, I want to cherry pick cases. By all means, they actually don't end up doing it, but you can, like, that's fine. You can jump in there and cherry pick cases if you want. Um, when, when you're sitting on the beach on a Wednesday yeah. and everybody else is working, you're going to be like, why did I cherry pick this case that I need yes. to get a phone call from? Yes. Yeah, exactly. So that's the very end. But the end is really that you are spending your time the way you want to spend your time. I mean, that's really the key. And to me, that's success. If you're spending your time the way you want to be spending your time, to me, that's, that's going to be increased happiness, increased wellness. Um, you're professionally satisfied. 
you know, that's amazing. And the crazy thing to me is there are people that are genuinely motivated by money that are genuinely in this to try and make as much as they can. And for those people, great. Then like actually have your budget and bill as much as you can generate as much as you can work as much as you can, but like, that's not going to be sustainable the whole time. So you've got to figure out like what becomes the, you know, on the way through, like, you're not just going to, I don't think you're just going to work 80 hours a week for the next 60 years and then retire at 90. Um, I don't see that being the case, but at the same time, there are a lot of other people or most people who feel like they have to be busy, who feel like they have to work a million hours, even though they don't want to. And then they're not doing the networking to grow the business. They're not hiring people to grow the firm. They're not happy. And they're working a million hours because they think that's what they have to do. And you don't. You You, you don't. And you have to look at the culture of first the US, but then the culture of law. And you say, that's BS. I do not have to give my all to practicing law, to be wildly successful, to be a great attorney or to have value on this planet. And I think we have to get used to that it's okay not to be doing something every moment, that it's okay to have downtime where you're really just doing nothing and that you still have value as a lawyer and a human being in those non-productive times you know well, and if you oh, go ahead well and the the funniest part is at least for me and i think this is pretty common usually I get my best ideas in those moments like me and my kids sitting on the couch watching i guess they redid the magic school bus that was what we were checking out this morning and in the middle of it i was like i need to think about this for next marketing campaign like they're talking about magic so like what's the magic behind this what's not And so like, here I am, you know, watching the the Galapagos Islands with invasive species. And I'm like shooting myself a quick email. I'm like, oh, what about working something like this into just, it's crazy. And you don't know you shut it off. Love Miss Frizzle. Um, But you're right. It's when you're in the shower. It's when you're taking a walk at the park. It's when you're just chilling out that your brain can actually get into a more relaxation, like a, not a like chatter, chatter, chatter time. And that is when you can be creative and intuitive and get those amazing ideas and insights. As opposed to being burned out and then you will not be in the right mental space to have the right ideas come to you. Yeah, if you hit burnout, you're just gonna stop. You think about, so my son's at Camp Pendleton now. If I drive my car from Pittsburgh to Camp Pendleton, I need to stop for gas or to recharge my electric car. So I stop, I refuel, and then I go again. If I try to drive straight through, what happens? I stop and I'm stopped and it takes longer to get there, if at, if at all. Yeah, no, absolutely. So anything else you want to make sure we cover as we get towards the end over here? What is So rate your happiness metric. Right. And that know that while there are metrics that employees need to produce, if they make your life better, those metrics can be a little bit lower um, financially because they're taking that stress that, you know, and those responsibilities off your shoulders. 
So that is extremely valuable to look for ways to be healthy and strong so you have continuity. Um, one other thing is that build your firm as a business so that if something happens to you, you have some kind of health challenge. Um, if you pass or you're just like, you know what, I'm going to write my novel that your firm actually has value. Or I see people, I go to like uh, bar association events and people are always like, I'm going to run for judge. I really, you know, this is a lifelong dream. I'm going to do it. I'm shutting down my firm. I'm like, you just work 30 years, 40 years, and you're shutting down your firm. You're not selling it. Like you're giving up on all that. You know, just owning your job is exhausting. When you own a business, you have power, you have income. And it's it's beautiful. Yeah. No, the um and and the other thing along those lines, so look, like everybody listening, I have not talked to a client in like three years for my firm. I don't do any legal work. I am not the right person for it. I oversee the firm. I run a meeting a week. I make sure everybody else is doing their stuff, whatever. There are still days that suck, 100%. There are still problems that come up, but there are fewer problems that come up that are true problems. There are fewer days that suck the longer that we do this. So don't expect it to be perfect, but do keep making incremental growth towards that perfect model that you may never get, but I think you will be so overwhelmingly happy 99% of the time if you continue to get closer to there. Absolutely love it. All right. So we're not going to be done just yet. However, I do want to talk about our next episode. Uh, next week on Monday, 1.30 Eastern time, we've got Paul Yokobitis on. Paul's going to talk to us about the art of scaling your firm with webinar marketing. Um, Paul is a super cool dude, one, also incredibly successful at everything that he touches. He's got that Midas touch. And so um, he's recently released a marketing company that deals with estate planning from the webinars from the Facebook perspective, something that I know absolutely nothing about and don't get involved in. And I am honored to have him on the show to share his wonderful wisdom on that specific thing for many of our listeners that may need specific webinar marketing for scaling their estate planning practice. But that'll be Monday at 1.30. I'm not going to let Wendy go, though, without that final nugget of wisdom. So if somebody's been listening or watching for the last, I don't know, 45 minutes or so, and they remember nothing that you said, so they have missed out on this entire wonderful rundown on how to be happy as a law firm owner, what would be your biggest takeaway for them to be the exhibit A of a successful attorney? It can be something we've already covered. It can be something totally different, but what do you want to make sure you drive into the head of as many attorneys as possible? Absolutely. Would love to have this opportunity. Document how you want to spend the 168 hours you get each week. Document how much money it costs to live the life that you want. And then eliminate everything else except action steps that will get you there. Yes. Say you will be happier saying no to more things, but you have to have this plan. Like, you know, you talked about the stopping for gas. I always love the concept of if you get in a car without your GPS on, you have no idea if you are, well, I guess if you get out of the car without knowing where you're going, you have no idea if you're closer to it or not. And so really planning this out and really figuring this out will make it so much easier to make 
I don't know, a million decisions that come from you having your plan in place. So Wendy Witt, everybody, milliondollarattorney.com, linkedin.com slash I-N slash Wendy Witt, W-E-N-D-Y-W-I-T-T. Please go ahead and follow her because if you don't listen to me, you can hear her say the same stuff in a much smarter way. So I'm uh, excited to work with you and see us continue to help other lawyers truly be happy because I think that allows them to help so many more people like you talked about at the beginning. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jordan. Thank you for listening to this episode of Exhibit A Attorneys. If you're interested in becoming the Exhibit A of Successful Attorney, please check us out at LegalEaseMarketing.com, E-A-S-E.